I'm going to talk to you, same discipleship project on our Bible study. We're going to talk about looking out for number one. Looking out for number one. You're looking up at me like, ooh, that don't sound Christian. I know it don't sound Christian, but hey, let's talk about looking out for number one. Amen. We're going to draw our first passage of scripture from Philippians chapter 2, 3, and 5. Then we'll jump down to John 12, 1 through 7. Let me run through that real quick for you, these verses of scriptures. Verse 3 in Philippians 2 says, Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I like verse 3. Verse 3 says, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Let nothing be done because you feel like you have to do it. Let nothing be done because... Well, if I don't do it, I'm going to look bad. If Well, if I don't do it, I mean, you know, it's going to look bad that I didn't do it. Or you feel like you have to do it because it's your responsibility. Don't let strife be the reason for doing anything. Or don't do anything for glory. Meaning to say, look at me. Look what I've done. That's not what we should do things for. John chapter 12, verse 1 says, Then Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead. There they made him a supper, and Martha served but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Then said Jesus, let her alone. Against the day of my burying had she kept this whole lot going on in these texts that we just read and we'll deal with them in a little bit i don't know if you heard the fable of the magic vest you ever heard the fable of the magic vest all right 
So the magic vest is this vest that you will put on. And when you put this magic vest on, anything you wish for, you will get it. It was a caveat to it. But the main theme of this magic vest, you put it on, I want a million dollars. You get it. I want a nice big house. You get it. Whatever it was that you was you really wanted, you just said it and you got it. And so guy had the magic vest, kept on wishing for stuff and everything he wished for, he was just getting it. It was coming. He was like, man, this is awesome. And he was making all these wishes and he was getting everything that he was wishing for. But the caveat was, for everything he wished for that was selfish, the magic jacket or the magic vest got smaller. And so he kept wishing the magic vest got tighter. Kept wishing. He was getting it. But the vest was getting tighter. He wished for so many things that was all directed to his own selfish wants and needs that the dude ended up getting the breath squeezed out of him till he died. Because he just kept on wishing for everything that pertained to him. All the dude had to do was probably just wish one thing for himself and started wishing other things for everybody else. And he would have been fine. But that's not what he did. Had the vest on and he just couldn't stop. Everything was about him. Everything he wished for was for him. And he ended up being choked to death. The breath just came out of him because... Everything that he wished for turned out to be just for himself. Now, in the kingdom of God, that would be the contrast. Wishing for just yourself. Wanting just for yourself. This is why the topic of our lesson tonight is looking out for number one. Serving to us sounds quite reasonable until we realize that serving others is an absolute contrast to the idea of being the beneficiary. So when we think about serving, most of us, the first thing we think about is somebody serving us, not us serving others. And so we enjoy being served. We enjoy experiencing being given and being taken care of. But when it comes down to us doing the same, oh, that's a different story. I can cut to the chase from a lot of things I'm going to talk about tonight and just say, say it this way. We have to just know and accept that the hour that we're living in has been the most selfish hour since the existence of mankind. Everything is geared towards you. 
And so you have kind of been influenced by that spirit of it's about me. I need this. I need this to happen to me. Things need to be this way. Everything that happens around us somehow now. We have kind of been trained and kind of been influenced by the spirit behind them just wanting things my way, wanting things to satisfy me. I don't want to, we talked about this last week, I don't want to be inconvenient or inconvenience, I should say. I want everything to be convenient. And as soon as things become an inconvenience, then I don't know. Church is not to make things convenient for you. Now, if it turns out that way, great. But church, for the most part, is going to be an inconvenience until you fully are converted and now you're flowing in the spirit of what God is doing, then it's no longer an inconvenience. But church is inconvenience when you're not flowing according to the will of God and the spirit of God. And so when you start to feel inconvenience about church, what's happening is you're not flowing in the vein of the church. Remember the church is the body of Christ. Remember the church is a spiritual spiritual entity and it's being governed by the word of God and the spirit of God. So if I align myself with what God is doing, then guess what? I'm flowing with what God is doing. But if I'm still struggling, still trying to live my life the way I feel I should live my life, and then at the same time trying to flow with the church, I'm going to end up losing out on God because the Bible says no man can serve two masters. So where we find ourselves is I need to have my convenience, but I know I need God. That's, that's where we're finding ourselves. I need to have my convenience. I need things my way, but I know I need God to get to heaven. So we know those things. And so now our challenge is, how do we pursue our life understanding that? And if we don't fully embrace being inconvenienced or inconvenient for God, then what's going to happen is we're going to drift from God because God's way is not convenient, but your way will be convenient. And so one way to gauge where you are spiritually is to see how much you're being inconvenienced with church, with the Word of God, with prayer, with living the way God wants. If that's becoming an issue for you, if that is an issue for you, if that's getting on your nerves a little bit, then it means that you're looking for something convenient and if that's the case, sooner or later, you're going to have to push church to the side because church is not going to be the way of, in, of convenience. You will work it out some way, somehow, to make your life be convenience or convenient, but church will never change because it's God's business. And so we have to look out and say, 
Am I going to live my life looking out for number one? Or am I going to be a Christian? You can't be a Christian and looking out for number one. Why are y'all quiet? Like I just said something that, 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 that was inaccurate. You cannot be a Christian looking out for number one. I can get into a lot of things, but let me just say it this way. The Bible says, whatever is not of faith is sin. If I live my life looking out for number one, I'm not living by faith. I'm living by looking out for me, which means then I'm not living a righteous life. But when I know the Lord and I trust him, I don't have to look out for number one because he's got me. He's got my back. And so I love to experience knowing that God has my back. Because when you experience that God has your back, what happens is you see stuff start to happen in your life way before you have understanding of really what's happening. You got to know that God has your back. And so you don't have to look out for number one when you know God has your back. You don't have to pile up things for yourself. You don't have to look out for number one. You don't have to live a selfish life if you know God has your back. It seems an inherent part of human nature to look out for number one. Listen to this. Opposing one's self-interest and selfishness to serve others is an intentional or, or must be an intentional effort which requires prayer, thoughts, godly thoughts. And sacrificing of oneself. See, here go that inconvenient thing again. If I'm going to live a life of being a Christian, serving Christ. If I'm going to live that life serving my my fellow brothers, fellow sisters. If I'm going to live that life, I can only do that through much prayer. Much meditation on the word of God. And much sacrificing of myself. Because it's too natural and the flow of the spirit in our world pushes us to just look out for number one. So you don't even have to try to be selfish. You will just be selfish. You don't have to try to look out for number one. It just happens. And the only way to change that, prayer, meditation on the word of God. And sacrificing of oneself. Yes, sir. Good question. What does it mean, sacrificing of oneself? I made the example of last Saturday. Last Saturday, actually Friday, was my grandmother's birthday. She was 80. And so, telling your, telling your age, because I think you're doing all right, Pearly. So, they only worry about their age when they, you know. But, but, but I think she's doing all right for 80. She's moving more than me and you, Brother D. She catch the bus all the time, walk all over the place. I don't know how she do. But, 
I had made plans to take her out for dinner Saturday. I said I was going to leave about between 1 and 1.30. I was going to leave to take her. And the drive was about an hour and 15, hour and a half from here. And so I, I said to her, just start being ready about between 1 and 1.30. I said that forgetting my schedule and things that was happening that day. After I told her that, I realized there's a prayer meeting in Irvington. Now, family is important. Family is important. So now I'm stuck. Prayer meeting started in Irvington at 10 a.m. It takes an hour to get to Irvington and an hour to get back. So if I go to the prayer meeting in Irvington, I'm going to be driving for at least five hours Saturday. At least. Or I can just not go to Irvington and drive two and a half to three hours. It was a sacrifice that I made when I made a decision to say, no, I'm going to go to this prayer meeting And I'm going to pray with these men and women of God that are seeking God. I am going to do that. And nothing is going to stop me. I just have to now drive over five hours Saturday as opposed to two two and a half to three. So I sacrificed myself. So I could have easy well, which people do. Well, I would love to go to the prayer meeting, but I have something scheduled with my family. So I could have done that. And felt like I was okay. Because it's family. It's a family outing. It's my grandmom. She's only going to be 81 time. I could have started just telling myself all these things. But I said, no. If I get tired driving back, I just got to ask my wife to take over. But I'm going. I knew I was going to be tired. As a matter of fact, I think I paid for it Tuesday. I was sick Tuesday. I didn't go to work. And I think with... The weather changing, but me overworking myself had my body run down. So you had this mess, this crazy weather going, but me working overtime in my body. When your body becomes weak, your immune system, right nurse? Your immune system don't work the same way. So the problem is you can get sick easier because you worked your immune system too much. You worked your body too much, immune system not working well. So whatever little thing going on, you get sick easy. So Tuesday, actually Monday, and I just felt like ah, I should be all right Monday. Um, but I went and still didn't feel good. Tuesday, I said, I just can't Tuesday. I said, let me take a day off to recoup. And and sure enough, I felt, you know, today I popped up this morning like, ooh, it's Thursday. Let's go. But that's just one example, Brother D, of, of sacrificing. Okay? That 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 that's just an example of saying I, 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 I realize that this is gonna cost me. It's gonna be hard to do. I realize that I I, I don't really want to do that. But I'm going to do it anyhow. So sacrifice is knowing that you're giving of yourself to something that maybe it's, it's, it's taken extra from you. It's, it's, it's causing you to do more than you really was willing to do. That's, that's what you do when you sacrifice. You're doing more than you was willing to do. Mm-hmm. Okay, so I'm going to say this to you. Good question. 
we make sacrifices for our family. I'm going to step a little bit out on the limb and says, most of the time what we do for our family is not really sacrifice. Because I want my family to do well. If my family don't do well, especially me as the man of my house, it's going to reflect me a little bit. So I have vested interests in doing sacrificing for my family. I do. Now, I'm not saying we don't consider it sacrifice. I'm just saying I have vested interests. So it makes sense to do that. But when I can step back and says, well, God's going to be God anyhow, and he don't need me to pray to do anything. And, and, and what am I going to gain to go and pray? What am I gaining? Now it becomes a sacrifice because really, what am I getting out the deal for extending myself, overextending? What am I getting out of it? You see? And that's kind of what we're dealing with tonight is most of what we do we can see that we're getting some kind of benefit from it. But most of the time when it comes down to God, the only thing we do with God is when we think we're going to get benefit out of it. But what about when we do something for God where there is no benefit? This is why coming to church is not a sacrifice. We treat church like, okay, when I go to church, I'm sat. No, because you're getting a benefit from it. How is that a sacrifice? You sacrifice is when you're doing something that you probably won't get benefit out of it and you're overextending yourself. Yeah. No. Here's the biggest, funniest story that we can tell as a man. Hey, I'm a good dad. I do homework with my kids. Think about that. Thank you. So, so I can't go around saying I'm a good dad. I'm supposed to be a good dad. I can't go around saying I don't beat my wife. I ain't supposed to beat my wife. So why am I going to go around bragging about those things? That's who I'm supposed to be. That's not a sacrifice. Here's a perfect scenario. Jesus did not need to come to earth to die for his own good. That's how we kind of want to line it up so we understand what our sacrifice is. Jesus had no need. He'd already set the order in line to say, if a man sin, he shall surely die. Mankind, whoever sinned, you disobey my word, you're going to die. He didn't have to do anything else. He created us. He gave us everything we needed. He says, I'm good. When, what he says, and when he did everything, he said, it was good. When he created, he said, and it was good. So he had no need to do anything else for as long as he lived. But he came out of heaven. He did something that he didn't have to do. That's when you're knowing that you're sacrificing is when you're doing something you didn't have to do, but you do it anyhow, and, it, and, and it's outside of what you normally do. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about looking out, serving the Lord, and, and not being selfish, and sacrificing. We treat church attendance like we're sacrificing. Oh, I went to church. I went to, I went to Bible study. I went to prayer meeting. And I went to church Sunday morning. That's just saying, I'm a good dad. 
I'm just letting you know. When you start bragging on attendance, you're just, yeah, that's just saying, I'm a good mom. I'm a good dad. But when you come to church, when you come to prayer meeting, when you come to Bible study, what do you do? Now we can have a conversation to say if we're sacrificing, if, if, if we're doing unto the Lord. Remember, I keep saying this. God don't need your help. Don't ever forget this statement. It's just powerful all by itself. God don't need your help. However, he needs your service. When we get that in our mind, boy, that's going to shake. I mean, literally, if we can hold on to that and realize God don't need your help. But he needs your service. Which means every time I show up, What service am I offering to the Lord? Because that's what he needs from me. He doesn't need me to help him figure anything out. He doesn't need me to give you the Holy Ghost. He doesn't need me for anything else. He Listen, he doesn't even need me to teach you the word of God. I know it looks like, oh, the man teaches. No, he doesn't even need me to do that. Because if he wants, he can say Sam. And he can explain whatsoever he wants to explain to Sam. He can show Sam whatever he wants to show him, just like he did Jeremiah. Go down to the potter's house and watch how he spin that wheel. And you are like the clay and I'm the potter. He explained that whole thing to Jeremiah and Jeremiah wrote it. He don't need me. He don't need you. We can't help him. But we can offer our service. Go do this. And we don't need to question it. So that's what God is looking for from a service. It's important that we realize that, I don't know, I wish I can get into people's mind to find out what stops them from understanding what I'm saying tonight. What stops us from a people to realize the significance to know I have to serve God. I don't know if some of us just been in a situation where people use us and now we have our guard up. I don't know what it is, but I just know one thing. If we are not serving God, it's hard to say we're Christians. And the reason why I say that is because God needs your service. How can we say, God, you know I love you. God, I'm right there with you. How can we say, God, I'm behind you. And God is just desperate for our service. Desperate for our service. Desperate for our service. That's what he's desperate for, our service. He's not walking the earth. He's not going to and fro in the earth doing stuff. We are his hands and his feet and at times his voice. He is using us to accomplish his will. We're, we're partnership. This is why the Bible says we're joint heirs, which means we're in partnership with him. Whatever he inherits, whatever he has, we're going to take part in it. How can that be possible? Because we're serving alongside him. So we, we, we can't push hard and say we're Christians when we're not offering them any service. Because he's saying, man, you know, it's like telling somebody, I love you, I love you, I love you, but you never do anything to show them you love them. On occasion, we Christians must remind ourselves that the Lord Jesus Christ should be number one in our lives. 
in, in a society where self is commonly at the center. The concept of Jesus at the center of it all is difficult to comprehend and much more difficult to apply. Listen to this. You are and I am guides for Christ. I don't know if you've ever been on a tour. When you go on a tour, there's a guide on the tour. You're following this guide and the guide is telling you about whatever you're touring to see. Jesus is the attraction and you and I are the guides. Our service is to guide in everything we do. What we're saying is, let me guide you to the attraction. Let me guide you to what you're looking for. Let me guide you to what you need to know. We are guides for God. And all of us do it differently. For instance, alright, I might not be behind a pulpit preaching the word. That's obvious as somebody walking, okay, yeah, he a guide. He's telling me about Jesus. But, on my job, I work with such great attitude. I treat everybody so good. I'm never doing anything to make anybody question anything wrong about me. Whatever chance I get, I, I, I show people love and kindness, and I'm always smiling. How am I guiding somebody to God doing that? Oh, trust me, I am. Because sooner or later, somebody is going to say, why you're just so nice all the time? Why you never seem to get angry all the time? Why you're so honest? Why you treat people so good? You're a guy. They have to ask you. You keep on doing that and you keep living life. They have to ask you, what is it about you? And that gives you the opportunity to say, well, Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior. I've been born again. And he's just been so good to me. And because he's so good to me, I feel like I need to be good to everybody else. And so I'm trying to let people know how good he is. Maybe they will want to know him like I know him. We thought it was just, I got to do something in these four walls. No, 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 no. We're guides. Or I can say it another way, we're God connectors. They can't get connected without us. People take tours all the time in museum. And they don't know what they're looking at. Ah, help me, Holy Ghost. They go in museums all the time and they're walking around with no, no guide because they didn't want to pay the, the, the guide fee. And, and I just walk in and look. My, and they look, what's that? Oh, no. Even when they Google it now, it's like, I still don't understand. But the guide knows all about it. And the guide stopped and said, well, in 1837. And the guide started breaking it down and started explaining it. And you asking questions, the guide just keep going and explaining everything. Because the guide have to know everything about the subject to help you understand it. That's what we are. That's what we are. 
So we're guides, we're tour guides, we're God connectors. So all of us in some way, shape, or form, living as Christians, are going to connect people to Jesus Christ. We're going to guide them to Jesus Christ. But at the end of the day, he needs our service. He needs our service. Jesus is the attraction. We're just the connectors and the guides. He is the attraction. This is why it's important when people come into church sometimes, we should be so caught up worshiping God that they need to come in and say, what are they doing? When you can always explain what's going on when people walk in, I don't know if that's always good. When people walk in the church doors and they, and they can explain, and you can explain everything away as opposed to somebody just lost in worship and now I have to say what they're doing is worshiping God. You see how their hands are lifted and tears coming down their eyes? You see how that person is just running like they're just crazy? You see the other person just dancing and skipping and all kinds? You see all that stuff? You see the other person just rocking and you see all that stuff that's going on? Well, they're communicating. They're worshiping their God. He is invisible, but he's real as real can be. And they're, they are just worshiping and connecting with him. That's what's going on. Now, all of a sudden, they want, well, how can I do that? But if their first impression when they come among us is you just sit and listen, that's what they're going to come in and do, sit and listen. This is why I pray tonight, say, God, let us be a a, a vessel that, that will start a fire because at the end of the day, we need to be worshiping and praising God to make people say, I want to know what's going on with that. I want to know how you get that. If people think the norm when they come in the door is just us sitting down and just saying, okay, okay, yeah, amen, then that's what they're going to think. But if they come in and we're demonstrating how we're worshiping and praising and loving God and responding to his presence, when we do that, it changes what happens when people come in. Not to mention the coals start getting on fire. Other coals start getting touched and the fires start burning. I can't wait till the day fire burn in this church. Listen, I used to love watching the Holy Ghost is just moving in churches and all different expressions are going on. There used to be a guy in church. We knew the Holy Ghost was moving on him. He, just, he can't stop doing this. And you wonder, what in the world? All he can do. Because everybody got different things that goes on. When the Holy Spirit moves on you, you don't know what to do sometimes. And so you just find yourself doing something. You wonder, what in the world is going on? You can't help yourself. But there's no need to worry about it. No need to try to explain anything. Looking out for number one. Are we going to be doing that? Or are we going to be God connectors? Are we going to be God guides? Are we going to know how desperate God is for our service? I told you all the time. I just thought it would be a travesty. Because, you know, I, I left from the restaurant business as a waiter and went to the church. And I just thought it was a travesty that I can do some things out there when I wasn't living for God. I can do some things on my job to benefit the people I was interacting with and come to church and not do that for God. 
I just thought that was just like, like, I can't do that. You know, I've been converted. I went from not being a Christian to being a Christian. And when I wasn't a Christian, man, I was involved. Sister Danielle was telling me something today I didn't even know. So the job that I'm on runs kind of parallel with my Christian walk. And so I started working there in 1996. I started going to church in 1996. Every promotion at my job went with a promotion. Man, I'm struggling with something, y'all. I'll tell y'all. Every promotion at my job was parallel to promotion in God. And Sister Tanya was telling me the first year at our job in 96 when we had our office party, I was so worldly and trying to influence everybody else to be worldly that when we had our job party, I had to do stuff to help people be worldly like me. That, that's what I did. I couldn't help myself but to influence people to do what I was doing. And so I realized when I got saved that I better be doing that for the Lord. Because I was doing that for the world and for myself just to have a good, really it was for myself. Because all I was doing it for was just to have a good time. So I influenced people before I got saved just so we could all have a good time. That's what I did. And so God saved me. But here's, here's what I'm struggling with. Sister Danielle shouldn't even be here tonight to listen to this, but let me tell you what it is. As I said, all of my promotion on the job ran parallel with my promotions in the kingdom of God, what God will elevate me to doing. Every time something happened at the job and I got a raise and I got promoted, something happened in the spiritual as well for me. So they've been running parallel. Here's what I'm scared about. My last promotion is being called to be a pastor. If everything stays true, it means I ain't going to have a job soon. I don't even know what to deal. I, that, that right there, I've been dealing with that for months, and I'm just like, I don't know. I don't know. My job is in the balance, and I don't know what's going to happen. I think I know what's going to happen. And that's not comfortable at all. Because all my life I've been working doing my thing, and I'm trying to fight with God in my mind, because in my mind, I, I want to keep working and keep working because I can always contribute to the church. Now, I don't know when it's going to happen, but I just, I just think it's just crazy not to have the opportunity to con- contribute to the church financially and never have to take out. But the opposite to that is you can't give all your time to the church if you're working a secular job. So that's the struggle. And I don't, I know what's going to happen eventually, but I'm not looking forward to it. It's very uncomfortable. Very uncomfortable. But if everything stays true to what it's always been, it means something getting ready to happen at my job. Because since God promoted me to start pastoring this church, nothing happened at the job. Something is getting ready to happen at the job. I'm just like, man, God. Okay. I'm, I'm just saying something. I, I don't know. We, I don't. I don't have all the information about what's going to happen. I just know something's going to happen, and I don't like it. But that's my fight. I got to fight with Jesus. But again, come back to that thing I'm telling you about. What is sacrifice? Just 
if we would just trust the Lord. I don't like it, but I trust him. And and don't get it twisted about it's never about I like everything the Lord is directing me to do. I like everything that No, it's never about that. It's about trusting and obeying God more than it is I like it. Sometimes you see people doing something, and you're like, oh, man, they, they, they can handle it because they good. They like that. No, I'm human like you. I'm human like you. What do you think make our society so selfish? Certainly what Paul described to Timothy in, is, 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 is rampant reality. Can you imagine a society more selfish than our own? Many live as though they are the ocean into which all the rivers flow. Many live as though they are the ocean into which all the rivers flow. Let me say this. Sometimes we think that we're not selfish. But here's what I'm trying to tell you. I don't know if I can say it any clearer than this in the natural if somebody literally saved your life, how would you treat them after that? Literally, just literally. You about you about to get hit by a truck. They 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 they, they pull you out the way, gun to your head, and they walk over and says, "You better not pull that trigger. That's my friend." And now the person walk. Over. I'm just like literally, save your life. How would you respond to them? And that's not even as serious as what we're talking about. Because, listen, the flesh can be spared from dying at some point in time. But we're talking about your soul that lives on forever is what we're talking about that he saved. God saved the soul that's inside of you that we can't see. That's what he saved from being destroyed. That's what he saved. What should be our response to him? That's what he saved. It's one thing for our flesh to be saved. And for some of us, I preach many funerals that I says, death is like healing. Because for some people, they suffered in their flesh for so long that all they want to do is just be out of their misery. And death provides that. So even our flesh, sometimes we want to get out of it. We just wanted to stop, stop hurting, stop, stop tormenting us, stop being broken down. So being saved from your flesh is not that big of a deal. Death will take care of that. Being saved, your soul being saved, now that's what's important. Medicine can take care of your body and death can take care of your body and you don't have to suffer in that body anymore. But your soul will live on forever and Jesus Christ had given all of us the opportunity for salvation that we can inherit eternal life and live eternally with him without suffering, without pain, without crying, without dying. We can live like that. How should we respond to him? Selfish. Non-serving Christian is not a Christian at all. John the Baptist as the forerunner of Christ, when Christ showed up on the scene, John the Baptist says, now that the Christ is here, I must decrease and he must increase. 
If we're going to see ourselves the way we need to see ourselves, that we're providing a service to the Savior. That we will realize it's not about me. I'm the tour guide. I'm the God connector. He is the attraction and I'm just leading people to him. I'm just connecting people to him. The phrase lowliness of mind is translated in several biblical passages by the word humility. Sometimes we think we're not egotistical, but I don't think there's no in between. Either you're humble or you're not. Only days, I'm going to finish up with this story here. Only days before the trial and crucifixion of Jesus Christ, he and the twelve had dinner at the home of Lazarus, Martha, and Mary. You remember Lazarus was raised from the dead? Well, that was Jesus' man. Martha and Mary, they was his homegirls. And so, when they were... Uh, days before the crucifixion, they had dinner together. Those people were of significance to Jesus. Lazarus had been raised from the dead, and only a few days before, John record the scene, records the scene, and what happened after that afternoon at their home in Bethany. Jesus, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, which had been dead and was raised. There... They made him supper, and Martha served. Martha served. Lazarus and Jesus sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard, very costly, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then said one of his disciples, who was Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and he kept the bag. We got to be careful with our motives. Judas said something that was true. May not have been right, but it was true that we could have sold that spikenard, that cost so much money, we could have sold it and gave that money to the poor. That's true! But he said it for the wrong reasons. The supper ended when Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, quietly made her way to Jesus. She took valuable ointment from a container and poured the ointment on Jesus' feet. The fragrance of the ointment filled the room. And suddenly everyone present was aware that something unexpected was happening. Mary's spikenard was of high quality. It would have been an overpowering scent in the room. The spikenard was quite costly. Someone perhaps, she uh, had spent a year's worth of salary to purchase the spikenard. A year's worth of salary. Think about in your mind, what material thing might be worth a year's worth of your salary? And would you just give it up like that? Sacrifice. Right? Just say I make $35,000. You telling me car, diamond ring, 
pearl. What else? I buy it with my whole year work. I wouldn't take any money. I work a whole year and it just went towards that material thing. Nothing else. People had to feed me. I had to live with somebody. You know? And now, you're just going to turn around and just say, I'm giving it to you. That's what, that, that's what Mary did. The, heat, the evening had been filled with serving and servanthood. Mary's service, I'm sorry, Martha's service would have been the expected thing. Martha's dinner and Lazarus' gracious hospitality fulfilled what was anticipated. Mary's exceptional extravagant service was unexpected and not everywhere near normal. Now, let me tell you what was going on here. Why this story was brought out. We're talking about looking out for number one and how we're always caught up in our own self and we don't want to give service to God. And, and I'm trying to teach this tonight to hopefully we, we, we just sacrifice ourselves and say, God, here I am. I'm, do whatever you want to do. If you inconvenience my life, that's fine. I'm just here for you, Lord. You are the attraction and I'm just here for you. I'm hoping that somebody will eventually just turn themselves over to God. I'm hoping that we will not be in this church and not say there's something in that church that I can do. Listen. Forget about the church for a second. I, I, this is what I wish I can translate to you or transmit to you. Forget about the church. Think about your relationship with God. The church is only the vehicle, the vehicle that is here present that we serve through to impress or to satisfy or to please our God. Forget about the church. Sometimes people think about, well, you know, this person, this, and we worry about different people and how we get along with them or who we don't like and all this stuff. And God is saying, what does that have to do with me and you? What does that have to do with I need your service? What does your differences have to do with God needing your service? And he's already blessed you with the talent. He's already given you the ability. So all you got to do is just do it. All you got to do is say, Pastor, God has given me this kind of talent. Where do you want me to use it in the church? Or if you feel like he's already given you directive, where to use it? Pastor, the Lord has given me this talent. Can I use it in this capacity in the church? That's all it's about. It's not about the church. Don't let people just duped you in thinking that, oh, you know, the church just lets you come in and serve. Forget about the church. I'm speaking from experience. Forget about the church. Serve God. Let what you do, you're doing it unto the Lord. And while you're in this church, you're not doing it for anyone but the Lord Jesus Christ. If you vacuum the floor... Don't even worry about who is in the church. I'm doing it unto the Lord. If you're putting up chairs or putting out chairs, it's unto the Lord. Whatever you're doing, you're doing it because you're required to give your God that loves you, that died for you. You're required to give him that service. Forget about everybody else. Forget about who's looking. Forget about who don't agree with you. Forget about the naysayers. Forget about people that make you feel like, oh, I don't even want to do that. Forget about that. This is about you and your God. That's all it's about. That's all it's about. 
I've always seen that. I've always seen that. I've never missed sight of that. No day since I walked in God's kingdom and I got saved. I never missed sight of that. I can probably tell you today. That's why you hear me say purpose is very important. I can tell you today. That's why I'm still standing. I always knew to give service to God. I always knew that what I did, I'm doing it for purpose unto the Lord, not for nobody else. And while people are benefiting from my service, that's fine. I don't care who benefits from my service because I'm doing it for him. And so sometimes we get it all bent out of shape because we feel like, you know, I'm doing this and nobody else is doing it. And so and so are getting blessed. And these people forget about who is getting blessed. What you're doing is unto the Lord. You're hearing it from somebody full of experience in this area. I remember leading our evangelism team and I would show up on a Saturday morning and nobody else would be here but me. I never got mad. Because I was doing it (laughs) unto the Lord. I just want to know what I'm supposed to do, Lord, and I'm doing it. I'm not looking left or looking right. I'm not asking no questions. I'm doing it unto the Lord. That's all we're talking about this tonight. We can't be Christians and just be looking out for number one. God's got your back. But we say he gave us armor for the front and never gave us no armor for the back. Sword of the spirit. That's the word of God. Breastplate, helmet, shoes. Belt, the back was kind of out. Because the, the, the shield that he gave you, the shield, it, it, it's long, but it only, it, it, it covers the body, the front. Nothing covers the back. God's got your back. So we never have to worry about, I'm doing all this and nobody taking care of me. Oh, God's got your back. You're going to be fine. You're going to be blessed. Listen, I'm, I've been very blessed by God. In every way. And I know why. I know why. I never batted an eye to give service to God. And God don't have a choice but to bless me. Because the word of God says this. This is why he doesn't have a choice. God says he owes no man nothing. Did you know that's in the Bible? God says I don't owe nobody nothing. So God will not have you do anything and, and, and you feel like you're doing all this and you're getting nothing. Oh, he would not do that. Because that means what he's saying is, I'm using you. God will never let anyone serve him and feel used. He doesn't work like that. No, he will not let you feel used. He will more than compensate you for what you do for him. More than compensate you. More than compensate you. Martha's practical service was on display as she gave of her talents and abilities. So here is what's going on. Martha, what she knew how to do is to be hospitable. We talked about this last week. So Martha knew how to cook, wash the dishes, keep the house clean. That's what she did. Mary was a worshiper. What Mary did was deep worship. 
But maybe she didn't know how to clean up real good. Maybe she didn't know how to cook. Maybe she didn't know how to be hospitable, but she sure didn't know how to worship the Lord because she poured out her whole year's salary upon him and took her hair and wiped his feet. She was worshiping him. That's what she knew how to do, and she did it. Her sister was even mad. Jesus, you see what Mary doing? She's sitting by your feet, and I'm doing Have her come help me. And Jesus never responded to that because Jesus understood or understands you've all been given talents to serve. And she is serving by worshiping. And you are serving by cooking the food to make sure we eat. And there's going to be times where there's some people that's going to, you're going to serve them. So all of us should be in a predicament or position at one point in time, you will be served and you will be serving. Lazarus and Jesus was being served. Mary and Martha was doing the serving. But the tables were turned many a times. How many times we saw Jesus serving. So all of us are supposed to serve and be served. That's all that was going on right there. The point is, we're supposed to render our service to God. And we can't be in God's kingdom. God's heart bleed when we're coming to church and we're in the kingdom not rendering any service. He needs help. He needs help. He's got a big job. With what we say now, probably about 8 billion people. That's probably what it is. We need to reach all 8 billion with the gospel. Not all 8 billion will receive and obey the gospel. But it's our responsibility to lead people. Again, be their guide, be their connector to the gospel. And they have to still make their decision whether or not they're going to follow or not. You can't make somebody obey the word of God. They have to choose to do that on their own. But all of us in some way, shape, or form has have to provide the service to get them to hear it. All of us have to provide the service to get them to receive it. They still have to decide to take it. But we must provide that service. We have to provide that service. We can't allow ourselves to be self-absorbed. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this. I don't believe anyone, especially in here tonight, are self-absorbed, absorbed, and 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 make it about you. I don't believe that. But I do have to say. And since you're not that way, don't let anything stop you from providing service to God and the church. Don't let anything, none of you, I don't think here are egotistical and saying, oh, please, it's about me. I don't believe that. I don't see that. But whatever it is that is preventing us from saying, I got to get involved. We got to overcome that barrier, that obstacle and do it. There's something for everybody to do. There's no person in this church that we won't find something for you to do if you are willing and able. There's something for you to do, but you have to want to do it. Because if you start, if, 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 you know, I told you before, if I come and ask you to do it, 
It's not the same like when you come and ask me to do it. Because if I come and ask you to do it, I never forgot this. Years back, I remember one of the brethren. Uh, met some folks that he was talking to, and they were saying, well, you know, brother, you, you know, you, you, you such and such and such and such. And all the brother had to say was, well, my pastor made me do this. I didn't want to do this. He was right. His pastor did ask him to do it. But when th- time came and he was challenged like he was messing up, and they were like, what, what's up with you? What are you doing? You're supposed to be this and supposed to be that. Why aren't you? Well, my pastor asked me to do this, so that's what I was doing anyway. That's the difference with me coming to you and you coming to me. You come to me and you get challenged about not doing what you're supposed to do. You don't have nobody to blame. But if I go to you, you can always say, yeah, man, I'm doing this because, you know, I don't, you know, he always talking about doing something in church. So, you know, I finally just he came to me and said, can you do so and so? So I just do it just to keep things, you know, on the up and up. And so you have an out. If you if I come to you, you have an out. I ain't got to really do that. He came to me. My first job in the church, nobody came to me about that. I went to them because I said I said then I got to provide a service because I was providing this service for myself in the world. I need to provide a service to God in the church. We can't just we can't be Christians and be looking out for number one. We can't be Christians and worried about. Let me tell you. Can I tell you another thing? I'm talking to you. You can talk back to me when I say this. Let go of your self image. I wish I can get everybody. To, we, we, we we image is destroying us. And you know what's the funniest thing about it? What you trying to protect to get people to not know they know. We have to we have to present ourselves a certain way all the time. And sometimes that's why we don't do anything, because here is what happens a lot of time. We, we, we have to set up ourselves and have our defense mechanism built up around us so we never look bad or so we never fail or so nobody can question us. So we set up our way of living so we can never feel unprotected or feel like we failed. So it's easy not to do anything. Why? Because I don't put myself out there for me to ever fail. So if I don't do anything, I can never fail. Yes. I don't do anything, I can never fail. So I just won't do anything. But if I start doing something and I fail, now I put myself out there. People are going to see me. Listen, they'll see you if you're not doing anything and says, They've been in church so and so. Why are they not doing anything? People are going to talk no matter what. That's why I'm bringing you back to stop worrying about your status. Don't, don't, don't try to protect you. When you start living for God, you don't have to defend yourself. You don't have to protect yourself when you start living for God. We have to get over what we think people think about us. We, when, we, when, when you live for God, you become wide open. I'm sure my wife feel this way, but I'm sure she's just working with it. My friend, Pastor White, told me his wife uncomfortable sometimes when he just tell all the business. Stop telling all the business. 
And I'm sure sometimes I say some stuff my wife might be uncomfortable with it. But the, the, the point is this. When you start living for God, you don't have no business. You don't worry about these things. Listen, you just got to be who you are. God's got your back. And God's always cleaned up your mess anyhow. So why are you worrying about the mess anyway? You, listen, live for God long enough or live in this world long enough. You're going to make a mess and you're going to need help. So let's not worry about that. that. That's what really shut us down sometimes from doing stuff because we're worried about failing and we're worried about what people think about us. Listen, man, I'm done trying to hide or trying to, you know, set myself up as some, you know. I said, I'm glad my life ain't perfect. God gave me a revelation a long time ago. My, my grown kids can't embarrass me. Nobody grown can embarrass me. My little kids probably can embarrass me, but no grown individual that's connected to me can embarrass me. My brother can't embarrass me. My kids that's grown can't embarrass me because they're old enough to be responsible for themselves. What they do is on them. I'm not worried about getting embarrassed. I'm not worried because I just realize that once you start living for God, God handles your business from that point on. And what God decided to unveil, what you going to do about it? And what he decided to cover up, that's what he decided to cover up. But when you give your life to God, he is now in control and you can't worry about covering up or not covering up because he really does that. And what he wants people to know about you, he will, whether you like it or not. And what he don't want people to know about you, he will make sure they don't know. So just let's trust him and let him do what he's going to do. We can't look out for number one when we're living for God because God is looking out for you. Anyone has any questions? Brother D, did I answer um, all your questions or do you feel like you still was pondering something else? But maybe people want to, um, maybe people want to, maybe what you're thinking, they're thinking. And so. Well, I'm not, you know, what I'm saying is, I'm not saying we don't, but what I'm saying is in the interim of doing that, it still benefits us in some kind of way because it's our family. So I'm not saying we don't, but what I'm saying is you have some reason for doing that. But, but, okay, let me give you a good one. Let me give you a good one. Well, not necessarily. What's your reason for serving? That's true. Okay. Let's let let's let let's do this slowly here. So, most of the times. When we do think, all right, I've said this before, when you do things to get something out of it, when you do it for God, to get something out of the deal, eventually you'll lose out. Because really what you're doing there is you're living for God to go to heaven. And listen to me carefully. Everybody that lived for God to go to heaven will not get there. Yep, write that down. If you wake up every day, 
I got to do this because if I don't, I won't get to heaven. You will not get to heaven. That's legalistic. And what you're saying is I'm in a bargain situation. What you're saying saying is I'm in in a negotiated relationship. If I do, he do. If I do, that's not what uh, what it's about. Our relationship with God is strictly love. And love motivate everything we do. And so whatever we do, it must be done in love. And when you love, you will do things that you don't want to do. Sure, I want you to come and go someplace with her on a Sunday that the Eagles playing. You don't want to do that. But you will go because you love her. So sacrifice will be done out of love. And that's why I said it's close when they talk about your family, because there's sometimes with your family is if I don't do it, I look bad. It's not because of love. So women will tell you this. Women don't want to send their kids going to school looking messed up. Because if the kids look messed up, the women know people are going to blame them. So yes, it's their kid. And yes, they're supposed to do it, but they feel compelled because they don't want to be questioned. Is that a sacrifice? See what I'm saying? So it's a fine line in, in, in understanding that I can get blamed, I can look bad if I don't do this, as opposed to, oh no, I'm doing this out of straight love and I'm not looking for anything in return. When you love, when you do, you're not looking for a return. It's close. It's close when it comes down to sacrifice and, 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 and what's not a sacrifice. It's close. But, but as I said, all you got to look at it is saying when you don't have to do it or you don't expect or there's no return on it. Yeah, we can go and say, well, if I know if I do this, God will bless me. I'll, 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 I'll meddle with that and says, if you do it under those terms, I don't know if you're going to get blessed. Because um, the, there's a scripture that says, do not keep the commandments of the Lord grievously. So what God is really saying, and essentially, if you're going to do it with an attitude, don't even bother. If you're going to do it because you want payment, don't even bother. So our relationship to God, when we say we're doing something, when we're sacrificing, it must be done in joy and not because we're looking for a reward. That's what bring it to sacrifice. That's what bring it to a sacrificial situation. And that's what take it from out of selfishness to just being a Christian. Because you're doing it, not looking for any return, not because you have to. But because I love God. That's what we need to do this stuff for. Because I love God. Not because I'm looking back for some return. And I'm glad we're saying this because I don't want anybody to be motivated to serve God because they know they get a return. Because what will happen is sooner or later, sooner or later, there will be stuff, stuff I can't even explain. There will be stuff that happens in your life that challenge why you're doing it and you could stop doing it. For instance, for instance, for instance, um, grandma, remember I told you about this, you know, people tell us to have faith, grandma dying. And, and somebody said, well, if you have faith, God will save her from dying. And you have faith and you go pray for grandma and she still die. 
Now you challenge because you've been living all the time banking on, well, God, if I do this, you do this. And you've been living like that for a while. And the day God don't do it, what's going to happen? Are you going to stop doing stuff? Because, well, God ain't never, God ain't did this and I lost my grandma, I lost my mom or whatever. Because, because you was living strictly on, you expect God to do something. So that's why I know, and I'm telling you, our motivation for sacrifice is supposed to be love. Because that's God's motivation for sacrifice. For God so loved the world. For God so loved the world, he became human and, 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 and bare our sins and was crucified. So it was love that motivated his sacrifice. So every sacrifice that we make, it should be motivated by love. Not because we're going to look good or we're going to look bad or we get payoff because we do it. Yes, ma'am. Well, and and here's the heavy part about what you're saying and what I'm saying here. When do people get to that place of love? Because you can't love something that you don't know. See, that's the, see, you see how deep this go now? Because, because, because you can't love something that you don't know. So we start out by, by usually we just do stuff out of obedience. We start out doing it out of obedience. But at some point in time, you have to fall in love. Because we're going to be disobedient sometimes. And there is nothing stronger than love. There's no greater emotion and greater, I can't say emotion because you, emotion comes out of love, but love is not emotional. Did, did you know that? Okay. Um, faith is revelation of who God is. So when you get to know who God is, you have obtained faith. Because what that means is you are doing something that you believe makes sense with an individual you can't see. So by, by, by just, by just coming to the place of saying, I want to give my life to God, that's faith. Now, after having faith, we start operating out of obedience. As we're operating out of obedience, we come to love him. And the love is the thing. When you love God, it means you're coming to a place of maturity in God. See, if I have to say one of the problems in the church over the years, what has happened is people never got to the loving place. They got to the faith place because you needed faith to get saved. They got to the understanding the obedience place because they know God is all powerful and all this. So you said, man, I better obey him. But we never get to the loving place. And the loving place is where maturity takes place in your Christian walk. And that's what begins to drive you over a long period of time in serving him. That's what keeps you in the game forever is your love. Right? Listen. The Bible says if you go 
um, to First to Corinthians 13 when it ends from, from verse 1 through what, 10, 11, 12, 13 when it ends on charity. The word charity means love. One of the texts says charity never fails. So what it's telling us is love never fails. So when we get into the dimension of love, we can never go wrong. We can never be defeated. We can never stop. We will keep going when we get into the dimension of love. So we start out with faith. We then move into obedience. And then we really excel in love. Mama Allen. Uh huh. Well, and that's, you see that? That's the love. That's what I'm talking about. So, listen. Our children knows. This morning, me and Jordan got into it. But he was hanging on my leg like nobody else's business. So this morning, he had um, a day today where he was supposed to wear what he wants to be in life. So my wife dressed him as an inspector. What, what are you dressing him as? That's what it is? As a what? A detective, because he's always an investor, right? But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to be dressed as a fireman. So she's gone, and I got to put up with him getting dressed this morning. He start whining. I said, man, I'm not you want you whining in this house. I got to go, and I'm just, yeah, and he bawling. I dropped him off at school, and then about 9.10, 9.25, I went back to the school because I had a reading for them. So I had to read to their class. Man, read to the class, time to go. My son made everybody know, that's my dad. He wasn't, he wasn't thinking about, um, that I made him mad this morning, didn't, he wasn't, all he, that's my dad. Because love don't let anything prevent you from doing. So when you get told no, if it's the person you love that tell you no, it's okay. Because when I know somebody loved me, they're not saying no for mean reasons. They're not saying no because they want to hurt my feelings. It's just no. Cause they love me. Now, somebody tell me no, that don't love me. I got a problem. I'm mad. So she's right, 100%. So that's the dimension that we travel in. Good discussion. We can discuss a whole lot. But this is good. Brother D, thank you for bringing up those, those strong points. Those are strong points. Strong points about the difference between um, what, what's really sacrifice. Because, because, you know, sometimes people feel like they're sacrificing, but, but it's not really sacrifice, but they need to know what is sacrifice, you know? And so we gotta know the difference between what's sacrifice and what's not sacrifice. And just know that sacrifice is motivated out of love. You inconvenience yourself to make sure you do for the one you love without expecting anything back. You're not expecting anything back. You're just motivated out of love to do something to please them and you didn't consider yourself. That's what sacrifice is. That's what Jesus Christ did to come to earth. He didn't consider himself. He says, I love them and they need my help. I'm going to help them. That's all he did. Nothing to gain from it. Because he could have wiped out the whole earth and start over making people all over again. So he didn't need, he didn't need any of us. He could just wipe us all out and say, I'm just going to start creating again. But he, but, but he, he, he did right by just showing the sacrifice. All right. Let's stand. We went for an hour and a half strong tonight. Appreciate your time. Amen. What they say in, um, brother D, you, you know about this. In sports, they're trying to figure out 
they're trying to figure out how to quicken the pace of baseball 